Yesterday, uh, our daughter-in-law, Abby, shared a wonderful responsive reading at one of our family gatherings for our devotional. And she talked about, in that, in that responsive reading, it talked about that we give gifts uh, as a picture, as a symbol, the small gifts of the gift. It's a reminder to us in small ways of what was given for us. And yesterday, I, I want to share a gift uh, that was shared with me by my parents. And I want to read the note associated uh, with that. Barry, it has long been our intention to begin passing along what we have to you and your sister. We recently overpaid on our taxes and received a refund. And we want you to share this with your sister and use the money in whatever way you wish. Love, Mom and Dad. It's a refund check for one penny. My sister's not seeing any of that. (laughs) We're finishing our series uh, this morning on the journey, Advent, Christmas, and what we're seeing really all of our life of faith with God is a journey. We've watched Mary and Joseph make a journey. We've seen Elizabeth's response in that journey, the shepherd's response, the wise men's response. It's a journey to the manger, yes, but life in Christ is never static. It's never settled. Our faith is settled. Our faith is sure, because our faith is on the one who's the cornerstone, the one who is immovable, right, who's won all for us, but life with him is never Settled, And you see it in almost every story of Christmas, and then you see it in the life of Christ after. You watch him in his public ministry. He's got nowhere to, to put his head down. It's always moving. And that's the life of the early church. Always saying to God, where would you have us go? Who is next? Where is next? What is next? As I get older, I've told you before, I kind of like things the way I like them. I'm starting to like things to be a little bit comfortable. Who are the children of God, Paul asks. They're the ones who are led by the Spirit. You see it at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. Led by the Spirit over and over again in Luke's Gospel. We are always on a journey saying, where next? Who next? What next? Some of that journey is difficult. You see it here. In this small pocket, Herod is coming. He will not allow anyone to challenge his power. So if you're a child born in this area, he is coming. And if you know the story of Herod or studied him, a fantastic builder, but you didn't want to be one of his sons or his family members because you'd be gone in an instant if there was any threat, and the same thing is going to happen to these in this region. So God calls them here in Matthew 2 to run to Egypt. We, um, we see some beautiful pictures even here of, of God's, not just his presence when we go through 
difficult things as Patricia beautifully sang for us. The world was mean to you and it's mean to us. Here we see in the story of these wise men who have followed this star, they find the Christ and they not only worship him, but they give him gifts. And we know those gifts. There's frankincense, there's gold, but wait, there's myrrh. Somebody got it. Okay, sorry. It's a bad preacher joke I saw this week. We look at those gifts and we say, why, why those gifts? Bible scholars have, have, have chewed on that for centuries. Maybe it's just to honor him. Maybe, as we said Christmas Eve, this is precious to us. You are the one who, des who, who deserves everything that's precious, yes. Some have speculated, well, no, gold's to honor the, 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 the king. Maybe there's something to that or, 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 or what uh, uh, frankincense to celebrate the sacrifice of the priests or his royalty or myrrh had to do with burial. It's already prophesying that he would die. Maybe there's something of that going on. Matthew is worried about that we would know that this child who was born, who can barely make his lungs work, who's struggling for that, crying in this manger, this is the king of all kings that has been born. And so these people who are stargazers, they come and they give gifts to the one who is the king. We call them kings. No, this is the king. Maybe that's all what's going on as well. But could it be as well God's provision. I'm about to call them to Egypt. And so not just months, but we believe years. I've got these, maybe it's three, we've got these wise men who are coming that are going to give these costly and priceless gifts to this family so that they can run. It's already God going before I heard a, look, I know I've preached bad sermons. I've heard a, I remember it. Matter of fact, I remember it. It was so bad because this person at least 50 to 100 times said this phrase, where God guides, he provides. You've not heard that sermon? Preach it. We say it all the time. And it was just over and over and over. And in scripture, you know what? It is over and over and over. You just watch God work. Abraham and Isaac, basically standing on the mountain where Christ would be killed in that region. And he says, sacrifice your son. I've le led you up here. But wherever God guides, he provides. And there was a ram caught in the thicket. Or maybe it's oil that won't run out. Or manna that won't run out. It's just like God throughout all of Scripture to provide wherever he calls. Run to Egypt. Who do we know in Egypt? What do I have in terms of provision? I've just given the lowest sacrifice you can give when we dedicated our child a year or two ago, and now I'm having to run. I've got nothing. Here's the provision. Now you go. It would be just like God to pour out provision as he's guiding you to the next place. I've testified to you before of some decisions we've had to make in our family by faith, and it was just like God to show up. I shared with you once before, but I think about that, especially at Christmas, of Sarah's cousin Kate, who was running from God in her college years, 
but felt the move of God in her life as she was driving one day. No, turn right here, turn left here, turn right here. What are you doing, God? Go in here. And she went in. It was a graveyard. Why do you have me here? Why would you direct me? And she said the spirit fell. She was full of God. The peace of God, the power of God. In that place, God met her. And it would be a couple of years after that, she'd be in the exact same place uh, for the burial of her daughter. God doesn't stop all the suffering. Many of us know that. But he's so good to say before and in, in the moment and even after, as he said to Kate that day, here's going to be the hardest day of your life, and I'm with you now, and I'm going to be with you that day. And to watch what's happening in her life now as she continues to have this ministry to moms and dads who have lost children, have this ministry of testifying to God's goodness and faithfulness, even in the midst of heartbreak. Wherever we are in life, God has, has, has loved us before, will meet us in it, and he will go before after us to redeem and to heal and to help. And you see that for these, Egypt, that's not, it's not a, an easy history for the people of God, but God was faithful in Joseph. God was faithful in Moses and, and Joshua. And God will be faithful for whatever, for whatever Egypt is in your past. God will be faithful to lead us out of that or if he's calling us to, to run, he'll go before us. If he's calling us out of something, it, it, trust his provision. And that's, that's really what we see here. Yes, verse 15, going to Egypt is a fulfillment of Scripture. And here is Matthew. You just watch him using Scripture after Scripture of the Old Testament to say, the one who has come, yes, he is the promised Messiah. He has fulfilled what God has said he would be. This is the king. This is the Messiah. But Egypt as well, what we see in Joseph and Mary is this deep trusting of God for what had to be an unsettling time. Not only is Herod coming, what I'm running from, but, but where are we running to? Egypt? They do weird stuff in Egypt. Egypt, we're not exactly on friendly terms there politically. Egypt, it's a hard part, and we'll close with this, a hard part of our past, but I'm trusting God. Wherever he is, wherever he's leading me to, wherever he's leading you to, we're going to trust him. And Voskamp in her book, uh, The Greatest Gift, talks a lot about Rahab. And she talks about that story of her with that scarlet cord out of that window and how she spared. And here's what she says in her book. I am simply amazed at how Rahab, when she heard the truth of the one God, saw hope. She grabbed hold of that lifeline, that hope rope, and she held on. She threw herself all in with the God of the Hebrews. We just got to hold on. It's Jesus. It's no one else. It's no, nothing else. It's Jesus. I'm holding on. And you see that with Mary and Joseph, who, of the line of Rahab, I'm holding on. He is the one. Whatever God says, I'm going to trust. How you need to trust today? Wherever God's leading you and, and, and wherever he's calling you to go,
How is it you need to, like the family of God, trust? And it's not just trust, but we also see this radical obedience. We see them obeying, going to a place, again, they would have been scared of because of, of, of politically, but also spiritually in all their wild practices. Um, but they're just going to go, no matter how uncomfortable they are. Sarah and I felt a really strong call uh, to go to Batesville. We had other opportunities before us, but the Lord says this is the season and you go here and go now. We just had Joseph, our first child, and yet we're going to move two hours away from where our parents were both in our back door. So your first child you're just nervous about everything, right? You're nervous about how you hold the child. You're nervous about how you do this and you do that. It's not that we don't love the second or third child, but the first child, right, you're just super nervous. I love you, Kate. I love you, Kate. And now we're away from that support system. But wherever God guides, he provides. And we could give testimony to several people, but I think of one family who walked with us as new parents not knowing what to do, and she just mothered our family through our six and a half years there. And after we left, when Kate was born a month later, and we came to Christ Methodist here in North Jackson, they came down to see us. When Joseph was born, uh, was, uh, had his wedding two years ago, they were at the wedding. They still continue to be spiritual parents over us. Wherever God guides, he provides. He made provision there for what we, what we needed. And uh, it was at the funeral. I heard the story even at the funeral of her uh, 91-year-old mother that her mom was pestering the preacher about a certain person in the church. And she got a hold of the preacher after church, and she said, You're, you need to go see so-and-so tomorrow. And that preacher thought, ooh, not so-and-so. <laughs> yeah. And he knew that so-and-so had had a mild health scare and I'm sure had connected with him and checked on him. But she says, no, you need to go see him and you, go, you need to go tell him about Jesus. The Lord told me to tell you to go do it. You need to go do it. I'll do it later this week. I've got a full week. You need to go tomorrow. The Lord told me tomorrow. Yes, ma'am, I'll go. He goes the next day. And he goes and checks on him, you're okay, it's chit-chat, he's about to leave, and this, he hears the Spirit say to him, ask him how it is with his soul. Now this person, apparently, by the way this preacher told the story, was at the preacher all the time, was, there was tension and struggle all the time, but the f preacher was faithful and said, hey, before I go, how are you doing? What's going on with, with your soul? I'm not good. If I'd have died last week, I'd have been in hell. Well, let's pray about that. The man accepted Christ there, went to church the next Sunday, professed faith in Jesus Christ before the whole church, and he died on Monday. Tell your preacher, yes, tell him, the one that he's in critical conflict with, Go tell him. And she did. And then the preacher about to leave. Let's, we've had a good visit. Let me just leave. Tell him. Bring that up. And he did. Um, 
we've got to not only trust, but we've got to be radically obedient to what the Spirit says. Wherever He guides, we need to be faithful to follow. And faithful to follow here, in a sense, with even our own vulnerability. Think about Egypt. Egypt is a point of pain for the people of God. If you ask a a Jewish person today, are you Jewish? They won't say, I'm a Jew. Typically, the right response is, I'm a Jew of the Exodus. They connect themselves to that pivotal moment in their history, and they will say, I'm a Jew of the Exodus. But if you read the Exodus well, it's a place of so much stumbling and unfaithfulness and crazy, crazy things that they did. Can God have your past and your stumbling, and would you let him redeem it? I want you to go to Egypt. I, wouldn't, I would have been scared to go. I would have been creeped out to go to that weird place. But also it's a place of shame in my people's past. Your faithfulness, yes, but, but my shame. And it's just like God. I've always found it interesting that Jesus has the disciples in Jerusalem. Now, there's stories as well of Galilee after his uh, resurrection. But in Jerusalem, stay here and wait for the Spirit. Because if there was ever a place of failure for them, it's right there. Watch me redeem your failure. Can God have your past? Can God have your stumbles? And redeem those and use those. Can you be vulnerable before God. And that's, that's what we see here in Mary and Joseph. Trusting, obeying, being vulnerable and going even though it may be a place of hurt for them. But ultimately what we see here is not just their response, but really what we see is, is, is the heart of Jesus. Um, that's what Matthew is revealing. Not just their response, but it's just like God to humble himself in that way. Uh, to allow his Christ child to go to Egypt, to allow his only begotten to be born, not just in a small town, yes, the city of David, but it's nothing then, and it's still nothing today, Bethlehem. And then to put him in a manger, which immediately, because it's a food trough, the moment he's born, he's unclean before God. And he's got all these unclean people, shepherds, Shepherds, an unclean group, can't even meet in the men's court of the temple. They're considered so terrible. That's just like Jesus. If you ever felt less than or unworthy, he'll meet you. That's his picture. It's a God who immediately just comes into our mess. Many of you have attended, uh, the women of our church have attended the IF gathering, and as the preacher of this church, I got to sneak in and listen to some of those sessions, and, and I loved the, the, what Jill Briscoe has shared uh, in those sessions. She talked about going to Croatia several years ago, and right on the border of Croatia, there's a seminary hidden behind some tall apartment buildings, and that's where a lot of, a lot of uh, Muslims and and some people were fleeing there. Refugee had about 200 refugees who fleed there. And she was there at Christmas and was to, to do ministry and share the gospel uh, with them. And it was mostly women because most of the men had been killed. Uh, but women and children had fled there. And so there she is uh, to speak to them. And she said, when I got up to, 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 to share my prepared remarks, I just had to throw them away. What do you say 
What do you say to people who have fled? What do you say to people who are radically suffering? They've lost loved ones. Some of them had been tortured. What do you say? You preach Matthew 2, 13 through 15. If you preach to refugees, you look them in the eye and say, I don't know what you're going through. But my Savior does. He's a refugee. Not only was he a refugee who raced away from his home, but many of you have been stripped. We clean up the cross. He was stripped. He was tortured as your loved ones were tortured. He is your hope. At the end of her message, here's what she says. All these things that have happened to you, you're homeless, you've had to flee, you've suffered unjustly, and you didn't have a choice. Jesus had a choice. He knew all this would happen to him, but he still came for me and he came for you. He's the only one who really understands. How can I possibly understand? But Christ can. Will you give your pain to him? At Christmas, we're reminded of the good news that God so loved us, he gave his only begotten son, and, and we, we just hold on to that. But I love that, that Christmas paints the real picture of life, that there are times when we're stepping out of, into things that make us uncomfortable. There are times we're in the midst of pain, and we see that in Joseph's life and Mary's life and even in Jesus' life, will you and I, in those things, trust his provision? That, that God's gone before us to provide for us in our hurts, in our struggles, or in those things where he's calling us to step out in ministry and he'll meet us there. Will you and I trust him? Will you and I obey him? Will you and I even be vulnerable? And will you and I open our hearts to let him minister to us, even in our pain. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this word, for what it says to us about your heart for us, of how you cared for Joseph and Mary, of your love for your son and your provision for him. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would now bless our response to this, your word, wherever we need to trust, wherever we need to obey, wherever we need to be vulnerable, wherever we need to to give our pain to you and allow you to meet us there, to give healing, but also to redeem. Father, would you guide us now? Father, would you help us now to step out in faith? And it is in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, that we pray this prayer. Amen.